Hey, today we're finishing up this series called My Way Back. Uh, for the past few weeks, if you're new with us, we've been looking at some different stories from Scripture, uh, stories of people who found their way back to God, stories of individuals who encountered Jesus, and their lives were never the same. And as you saw in that video just a moment ago, at the same time, uh, it's been really encouraging to just look at the stories of some of the people, uh, even in our own church family. And way back week one of this series, we actually gave you some time uh, in the service to write out part of your story using a uh, uh, kind of a guide that we helped create, and uh, that's back at the Info Hub if you haven't had a chance to pick one of those up. But uh, we also encourage you that as you wrote your story and learned your story, to actually take some time to record your story using your phone. And many of you have done just that and sent those stories in, and we've been posting those to our Vimeo page. And I was watching some of those again this morning. They're so encouraging, uh, so fun to watch. If you haven't checked those out yet, uh, go to our Vimeo page. You can find it through our church uh, website, and you'll see stories like Anne's and others, and our hope is that you'll continue sending those in, uh, even this week and in the weeks to come, and we'll just continue to post uh, those stories. But the goal is this. The goal is for every follower of Christ to know your story so that you can share your story, all right? So that as you find yourself in conversations and circumstances and situations with others, you can tell the story of what Christ has done and is doing uh, in your life. And uh, to better prepare us uh, as followers of Christ to be disciples of Jesus, we've got a workshop coming up in April, April 14th. We call it the Multiply Workshop. And again, our hope, our goal is that every person will see themselves as a follower of Jesus all right, and so we've got this workshop coming up on Saturday, April the 14th, all right, and you can sign up through the web or through the app, and we would love for you to be there, all right? We'd love for every person to be there to check that out. Again, that's going to happen at our Carmel campus Saturday, April uh, the 14th. But as we close this series out today, as we get ready for Easter, I want to look at two last stories with you from the Bible, uh, two separate places in the New Testament where we're presented with two different lives, uh, two different men uh, with completely different backgrounds, and most of us, if we had the opportunity to meet them or to live around them, or even today as we uh, study their stories, we'd look at their respective lives each, uh, their stories, and we could make an informed decision, all right? We could, we could look at their lives, we could look at some of the circumstances around the details of their life, and, and come to a conclusion where we would say, you know what, I, I bet this one is going to heaven, all right, and I'm pretty sure this one's not going uh, to end up in heaven, or shouldn't at least end up in heaven. But the one thing we're going to see today is this, is it's dangerous to predict how the story will end, all right, because of what Christ has accomplished, because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us, the fact that there's an empty tomb, be careful how you predict the story of someone else, maybe someone around you, because when we see, you know, things that are going on in people's lives, or when we go through certain things, well, it's easy to make some assumptions. But Jesus changes everything. All right, the cross of Jesus Christ changes everything, and it reminds us that no one, that nothing can stand in the way of the love and the grace and the power of God. The, the cross of Jesus can change any person's life, uh, can change any person's story. And, and so the question really becomes, and maybe a question that you've got to wrestle with today is this, is that is, will you choose to receive that love? Like when standing face-to-face -face with Jesus, when standing face-to-face -to, -face to the cross, like how will you respond or how have, how have you responded to his invitation to know his love and to know his forgiveness and to know his grace? Will you choose Jesus? Maybe even this morning, will you make a decision to, to trust Jesus or, or will you reject him and walk away from him? 
And so I want to look at this first life with you today, this uh, first person. Uh, it's here that uh, in Mark chapter 10, uh, if you want to turn there again, this is on page 707 if you want to use one of the Bibles here in the room. Uh, but Mark chapter 10, it's here that we meet a wealthy uh, young man who appears to have everything going for him in his life. He's got it all together. And he's going to encounter Jesus and be faced with a question and a decision that he must make. Mark chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 17, this is Mark's account of the life of Jesus and in one particular encounter of someone that met Jesus along the way. Mark records this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Now just notice that this man is both excited and enthusiastic and respectful of Jesus at the same time. All right, so he knew at least something of Jesus. He said to him, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And then Jesus said to him, he says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give uh, false testimony, you shall not defraud, and honor your father and mother. And here was his response. He said, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now you went from a boy to a man around the age of 12, 13 in the Jewish tradition. All right, and so he says, all these I have kept since I was a boy, and Mark records, Jesus looked at him and loved him, and so he's, he's got compassion for this man, but he knows something that we don't know, and here's how Jesus replies to him. He says, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Now, we look at this story, and we think to ourselves, okay, here's a really good man. He's got a, a good family. He's got a good reputation. Uh, From what we can tell, he's never been in trouble. He's never done anything wrong. He's the type of guy you'd trust to sell you a car or uh, manage your finances for you. Or maybe you'd say, you know, you can even marry my daughter. And so he's a guy that looks to always do the right thing, always say the right thing. He loves people really well. And so you know, you just got to think to yourself, this man is going to take the next right step. He's going to take the best step even when Jesus challenges him to do What's right? Look at verse 21 again. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And then look what Mark records in verse 22. Here's the man's response. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, here's what you need to know about this particular account. Jesus wasn't asking this man to take a vow of poverty. All right, that's not what's happening here, all right? It's a, it's a part of the story. Again, there's some great implications when it comes to his wealth, but, but here's really what I think the big idea of this particular account is, that Jesus knew something about this man and his life and what was important to him that we don't know. See, Jesus knew that his greatest love and security was found in his money. It was found in his possessions, basically in what he could accomplish for himself. And so money really had become his God. His own personal security and what he achieved achieved for himself had become his God. And the man realized this and then faced with a decision, he decided that he couldn't give it up all, give it all up. He He really wasn't ready to make such a sacrifice, and so he walked away sad. And so I think you could say that this man wanted the promises of Jesus, but unfortunately, he wasn't ready for Jesus to have all of him. He wanted the promises of Jesus, but he didn't want Jesus to have all of him. And so his story, really, when you think about it, it doesn't end up the way that we think it should, or at least it doesn't appear that way. Now, Do you think he went home and maybe looked at his home and looked at his wealth and looked at all of his possessions and considered again this 
kind of proposition by Jesus and maybe change his mind? Maybe, but we don't know. We just, we just don't know the end of his story. But I think one reason that Mark includes his story here, this account of Jesus' life and this particular encounter is to show us that it's possible to have an encounter with Jesus and not be changed by him. It's possible to have an encounter with Jesus and to reject him because, because here's the thing, and we see this in this man, and certainly the same is true for us in our lives as well, that we've been given free will. All right, God has created you in such a way that you have been given free will, that you, you ultimately get to, to decide whether you will trust him, that you will trust Jesus and trust his message for salvation and life, or that you will reject that message and walk away from it altogether. And at least on this day, this man said no to Jesus, and he walked away. And so we're only left to wonder if anything about that ever changed in his life before he died. Now, I want to contrast his story with another story that we find in Scripture, a story of a second man that we meet in the final moments of Jesus' life. But before we meet him, recognizing that it's Palm Sunday today, uh, the day that we observe in the church, uh, the day of Jesus riding his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, uh, I want to trace the steps of Jesus in the final week of his life, all right, beginning with Palm Sunday and all the way up to the cross for us today. We'll cover Easter next weekend, all right? But let's start on Sunday for just a moment. If you want to follow along with me, we'll start on Sunday again. We know this is Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry, the day when Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a colt. Uh, enthusiasm was high in Jerusalem because Passover, the holiday Passover was just a few days away. Now, Passover is an uh, extremely important holiday for the Jewish people. Even today, uh, it's a holiday to celebrate the faithfulness of God going all the way back to when God led his people out of slavery in Egypt back in the days of Moses. And so for the most devout Jews, they would go back to Jerusalem every year to celebrate the Passover festival, Jesus included, and to make a sacrifice to the priest in the temple. All right, so again, this is the day when Jesus rode from the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. And I had an opportunity to go to Jerusalem last May, and we got a picture here of me standing on the Mount of Olives. We could uh, picture here standing on the Mount of Olives, and if you can see the golden dome back over my left shoulder, that golden dome represents the Temple Mount, all right, where the temple was located. And so it's from the Mount of Olives that Jesus would have ridden on the colt down the hill, and this next picture here will show you a road that sits there today. Now, was this the same road that Jesus took? No, all right, same location, yes. We're in the proximity, and so use your imagination here, people line the streets, laying down their coats, cutting palm branches from the trees as they welcome Jesus in. This is the, the welcoming for a king. Again, this is a triumphal entry, and they're shouting at him. They're shouting, Hosanna, all right, to the son of David, which means save us. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So again, this Palm Sunday was the day before, all right, the Sunday before he died, and Jesus goes back into Jerusalem, and he's going to enter into the city, this triumphal entry. He's going to go to the temple, but it's late, all right, so he won't stay there for long. Instead, he's going to leave the city and go back out to Bethany, which is situated in the location of the Mount of Olives. Now, on Monday, 
Jesus is going to go back into the city. And where does Jesus go? He goes to the temple where people are coming from all over for Passover to make their sacrifices. And scholars estimate that crowds as large as 300 to 400,000 people, if not more, would come into Jerusalem for this Passover festival. And because the people were traveling sometimes for very long distances, they wouldn't bring their own animals for these sacrifices. But instead, there were vendors conveniently situated around the temple where they would, these vendors, happily sell you an animal to sacrifice at several times the cost of market price, all right? It's kind of like going to the Disney store at Disney World, right? You're a captive audience, and they're going to get you, all right, if you go. But the Jewish people, here's the thing, the Jewish people weren't allowed to pay for religious purposes with Roman money, all right? That was considered an abomination. And the Roman currency was the currency of the day And so when they arrived at the temple, they had to exchange their Roman currency for what was known as the Tyrian shekel, all right? And here's a picture of just that, the Tyrian shekel. And they exchanged this at an exorbitant uh, exchange rate. And so Jesus was so angered by the injustice that he saw taking place around the the temple that he started turning over the tables and, and, and telling the vendors and the money changers, you're turning this house of prayer into a den of robbers, all right? And then Monday ends. On Tuesday, Jesus goes back to the temple. And here's a model of the temple and potentially what it looked like. Uh, This is on display at the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. And so you kind of get a picture. Some scholars estimate that as many as 75,000 people could cram into these temple courts areas for such festivals like Passovers. But we know that on this Tuesday, Jesus is going to go into these temple courts with his disciples, and he's going to make a really bizarre prediction. All right, he's going to make this prediction that the buildings will be torn down and the temple will be destroyed. And you know what? That actually happened over 30 years later after Jesus said that, uh, sometime around 66 AD when the second Jewish temple was destroyed. But on this particular Tuesday, while Jesus is there, he's teaching, he's healing, and then he has this confrontation with Jewish rulers and, and the elders there. And they start questioning Jesus about his authority and why he has the right to say the things that he is saying. And Jesus Jesus is going to turn the conversation right back around on them. And the Jewish leaders are so afraid of what the people might do if they, if they seize Jesus that they leave him alone and, and they walk away. And then Jesus quotes, quotes scripture uh, and says to them, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Well, that night, that Tuesday night, Jesus is going to leave the temple. He's going to go back out to Bethany. And this is the evening where he's reclining at the dinner table and his feet are anointed by a woman. And it's also the same night that one of his disciples, Judas, strikes a deal to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of, get this, Tyrian silver, which is sort of ironic in that the very same coins that the money exchangers were exchanging in the temple were also exchanged for the life of Jesus. On Wednesday, oddly enough, there's not anything that's included about what Jesus did on this Wednesday. Uh, Maybe he spent time resting or with his close friends. But Thursday is the first day of Passover. 
All right, Passover or also unleavened bread in this particular occasion. But this is the day when Jesus gathered in the upper room with his disciples to share in this, uh, this meal, this very special meal. And it's here that Jesus shows us uh, what it means to serve. This was the evening where he got down on his knees and washed the feet of his disciples. Uh, it's here when they celebrate what we refer to today as the Last Supper, again, which we celebrated earlier by taking communion. After supper... Jesus and his disciples are going to leave and they're going to go for a walk and it's along this walk that Jesus is going to teach things about uh, abiding in him, all right, and remaining in him. And eventually they're going to arrive at the Garden of Gethsemane, all right? And the Garden of Gethsemane here, just to give you some perspective, is just a quote or stone's throw away, whatever cliche you want to use from, you see the golden dome there or the temple Mount, all right? And so our group is standing in the Garden of Gethsemane in this particular uh, event, this day. And for Jesus, all right, when he arrives at the garden with his disciples, he knows the end is near. And this is where he falls to his knees and he prays to his father, Father, if it's possible, please take this cup from me. And the scriptures record that sweat falls from his skin like drops of blood. And in his agony, he declares, but not my will, your will be done. On earth and through my life. Well, next, Judas is going to show up with the armed soldiers. They will arrest Jesus, and there's a scuffle, and Jesus is arrested. He's taken to face the high priest, and they put him on trial. It was really a mockery of a trial, and people lie about him, but Jesus remained silent until the high priest asked him this question Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And it's a great question. And for Jesus and for those that stood looking, it was a very important question. And it's a question even 2,000 years later that all of us need to answer at some point for ourselves before we die. It really is the question, who's Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Have you ever come to, to terms with, with Jesus and who he is for your life? Will you, have you made the decision to, to, to choose him? Have you made the decision to trust him? Or do you continue to reject him and walk away from him time after time, day after day? And Jesus' words to that question, his response really sealed his fate. He looked at the high priest and he said, I am. And there are great implications in that particular statement. The crowd went wild in the moment. The same crowd that a few days before was cheering him would now start spitting on him. They blindfolded him. They punched him. They beat him. And as the sun rose on that Friday morning, even his closest friend, Peter, denied knowing Jesus. Well, very early in the morning on that Friday, we know it is Good Friday, uh, they're going to drag Jesus to stand trial before Pilate, all right, the Roman governor who was put in command of this particular region. And Pilate wants to set Jesus free, all right? He even asked the question, what crime has he committed, all right? And so he wants to set Jesus free, uh, and he asked the crowd, and the crowd's response is, crucify him. And so Pilate symbolically washes his hands as a way of freeing himself of the guilt in that moment, but then he just turns Jesus over to the crowds. And the scriptures record that they flogged him. Now, that word is a little unusual or a little unfamiliar to us. It doesn't really sound, uh, it, it sounds harmless really, but, but when you take into account what fully happened in this flogging, well, you really understand how horrific it was. See, they would take a whip, uh, maybe similar to the whip that was shown here on the screen, 
And they would take these several strands of leather, and what they would do is they would tie to the end of them uh, broken pieces of, of, of pottery or animal teeth or, or sharp stones or anything at all that might tear the flesh. And they would whip the victim's back, all right, until it was uh, bleeding profusely. And, and when it was bleeding, they would whip it again, and they would continue whipping it, not until just the flesh tore, but until these bones or, or these teeth would, would penetrate the muscles and begin to, to rip the muscles apart to the point that you could see down to the bone. And it was known to be a very brutal uh, form of torture. And not only that, but we know that they took a crown of thorns that they had woven together and they smashed it down onto his head. And then they placed the, at least the beam of the cross on his worn out, open, wounded back, his shredded back. And he was made to, to carry this, this beam of this cross to a hill where he would be crucified. And once there, he was, there was a nail that was driven through each wrist, all right, as his arms were spread out. And then uh, both feet were held together and they would drive a, a single stake uh, through the ankles and into the feet. In fact, uh, on display in the uh, Jerusalem or the Israel Museum, uh, they, they have found and discovered this is not the ankle bone of Jesus, of course, but an ankle bone with a, the nail pierced through it. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they said this, the, the Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they perfected it. And it was a source of terror for all of the people, the thought of crucifixion. And it was designed to maximize pain while uh, delaying death as long as possible. As the body sagged down on the cross, it became nearly impossible to breathe. And so if you can imagine to open up your lungs, you would have to push off with your feet. And so that excruciating pain just shooting up through your entire body. And this cycle, they would say, would, was repeated until the victim would finally suffocate, sometimes up to several days later. Now here's the thing. All that suffering, all that pain, the death. Jesus didn't deserve that. I did. Like you and I, we're the ones that deserved a death like that. He's not the rebel. I am. Jesus is a perfect example of God's love. Jesus demonstrated for us the way that life was meant to be lived here on this earth. But for me, I fall short all the time. I disobey him. And Jesus, he always listened to God's prompting in his life. He was perfectly obedient in everything that he did. I'm the one that turns away. We turn away. And that death that Jesus suffered on the cross was meant for me, but he took my place and he took your place on the cross and he gave his life so that any of us, all of us here today, every person here today could experience the forgiveness of God and receive eternal life and salvation for our lives. The Apostle Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That the penalty of your sin and my sin was, well, it was laid on Jesus and he died as a sacrifice, as a perfect sacrifice for your sin and my sin once and for all. It's his free gift that's available to each of us but the question becomes, will I choose to trust that and receive that or reject that and walk away? And so a few minutes ago, I told you we were going to meet two men with two different backgrounds. We looked at the rich young man for just a moment. The other man has this encounter 
with Jesus right at the end of his life. In fact, he's hanging on the cross next to Jesus. And if you want to turn there on your own, we uh, first meet him in Luke chapter 23. Go over to the Gospel of Luke. It's just to the right of if you're still in the book of Mark right now. But Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32, and here's the historical account as recorded by Luke. He writes, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, now this was a place that's also referred to as Golgotha. Uh, It was a place where many crucifixions took place. Uh, Presently today, many people believe uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre has been built where this Golgotha or the Skull was located. Luke records, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Now skip over to verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, at Jesus, saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now, he's not the one that we're concerned about right now. Let's consider the other criminal. He responds in verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him, all right? So he rebukes this other criminal who's shouting at Jesus. He says, hey, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence, We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, stop there for a second. Talk about the audacity, right? Talk about some nerve here. Like, how dare this criminal ask for forgiveness at the very end of his life? Because he's got just one thing right. I mean, if you consider what he said just before that, he he said, you know what? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. And so he's a criminal. All right, we know that from, from the story, which means he's, he's not fit for society. This, this guy deserves death, and he deserves uh, eternity separated from God in hell for what he's done. But remember, it's dangerous to predict how a story's going to end. It's kind of like Loyola right now, right? You know, I mean, who, who chose Loyola to be playing in the Final Four next weekend, right? It's dangerous to predict how a story will end, but we might conclude one thing, you know, I mean, in my flesh and in your flesh, we might judge someone one way, but God is not like us. And his love is greater, his love is perfect, and Jesus is the perfect example of God's love. And the next thing we see is Jesus in his final act of compassion after a very difficult 24 hours. Look at Jesus' response to the man, verse 43. Jesus turned to him and said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. When? Today, Jesus said to this man in his very last breath, this man is able to see and experience the grace and love of Jesus for his life. It's the very same grace and love that was offered to the rich young man, but he walked away. But for this thief, again, we're not sure what he's done or all we know is that it was probably severe enough to have warranted a death sentence Again, this isn't the guy that you'd want to buy a car from or invest money with, and you probably wouldn't let your daughter marry. But this man turns to Jesus at the very end of his life, and he experiences the forgiveness of God, and it's the rich young man who will walk away, the one who looks like he has it all together, but ultimately reject and walk away from Jesus. Here's what I want you to see in this story today, and even in these two lives. It's not over until it's over. It's not over for you until it's over. Like if you're breathing, there's still time for you. There's still time to experience the grace and love of Jesus Christ for your life. That's what's true for you. 
all right? But it's also true for that person in your life right now that hasn't come to know Jesus or trust Jesus. And so that's true of, of your husband or of your wife. It, it's true of your child right now or your parents. It's true of a, a friend of yours or maybe your siblings that don't know the Lord. Don't give up on anyone, all right? Don't give up on anybody just yet because God hasn't. He hasn't given up on them. And you and I, we can't possibly predict how someone's story is going to end. In fact, we can get ourselves in trouble if we do just that because his ways are not our ways, all right? And while man looks at what's going on on the outside, God sees what's going on on the inside, which poses a problem for some of us today and maybe even a challenge for some of you because for some of you in this room this morning, your story might sound something like this. Well, I'm a good person, I make every effort to treat people right, to do right, to love others as I want to be loved. I've lived a pretty good life. And so isn't that all that matters? But the truth of God's word for us says this. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans that no one is righteous apart from Christ on their own. No one is righteous, not one. We all deserve the wrath of God. But like the criminal on the cross... The wonderful truth, the wonderful hope is that Jesus took what we deserved. He died for what I deserved. And for this thief to think that he had nothing to show for his life. He had no chance to go back and to make right anything wrong that he had ever done. And yet the grace of God, even before his last breath, was all that matters. And contrast with this with the rich young man. He had everything and yet nothing at the very same time. And when given the opportunity to surrender it all to the Lord, he walked away. But what about you for today? What does it mean for you in your life right now? Uh, Who is Jesus to you? And where does his cross and the empty tomb fit into your story and into your life? The good news for you, for me, for all of us is just this, that there is enough grace for everyone. There is enough love for anyone. God's love is available to you. His forgiveness, his salvation is available to you today. But you have to decide. You've got to choose for yourself to turn to him, to receive it, to live in it, to follow him, or to reject him and to walk away. The Apostle Peter reminds us of the Lord and his love and his patience with us. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we read, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so his love is available. It's available to you today, but it's your responsibility and my responsibility to ultimately decide, will I turn to Jesus and receive that love and live out of that love? Or will I reject it and walk away? And Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, what it means to to turn to Jesus and to trust Jesus. And he spells that out for us when he says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? And I don't know what's going on in your heart this morning. I don't know 
what decision or choice you've made when it comes to Jesus. I trust that we've got a number of people here today that have trusted him and are following him all through the ups and downs of life. But I also believe that there might be some of you here today and you've never made the decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But if you're honest, maybe something's happening in your heart today. And the promise of God is just this, that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do just that, wherever you're seated right now. And maybe you're ready to turn to Jesus, to trust him as your Savior and Lord and receive his forgiveness. You can do that today. You can do that right now, right here in this moment. And you can just pray with me. And you can pray these in your words, and you can pray them out loud if you want to, or you can pray them silently wherever you're seated. But if you're ready to turn to Jesus, just pray this. Jesus, you are Lord. I believe that you are Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. Forgive me of my sins. Save me. I belong to you. And the promise for us in Scripture is that anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. You are saved. God, we thank you for your work in Jesus Christ on the cross for us, the final sacrifice, the ultimate perfect sacrifice for our sins. We are turning to you today, and I believe and I trust and hope, Lord, that there are some in this room right now that are turning to you today to trust you with all of their life. And I pray that maybe even their mind right now, there just be this picture of you welcoming them into your family, into your kingdom. What a great and wonderful celebration, God. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.